Yo, what's good everyone? It's Anushan and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy how y'all. Welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. I'm Aswi, and joining me today are Eric. Yes, sir. And AC. Wait, what about Anu? <laughs> Who? What? It is I. I have returned. <laughs> I have risen from the ashes of school and exams. I am back, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, Anu. What's up? What's up? What's up? Was this some, like pre-planned thing that i'm totally not aware of like what the fuck is going on right now (laughs) i think we just winged it honestly (laughs) if if, it felt generic yeah well guys welcome back to anushan thank you for joining us again we missed you and i'm sure our fans have missed you as well Guys, I'm so happy to be back. I've missed talking with you all about the game that we love oh so much. And honestly, so much more good times ahead. Let's go, guys. Before we get into today's episode, I have to say, guys, happy birthday. I feel we have a little deja vu. <laughs> Did we not just do this last episode? Well, guys, it's not our birthday. Today, 130 years ago, the first ever game of basketball was played. Okay, talk about Dr. James Naismith in uh, O Canada. O Canada. That's my boy. Yep. 130 years of basketball, guys. That's amazing. To think the founder of basketball was a Canuck. I mean, to be fair, even though he was Canadian, I, I'm sure he developed the game while he was in America and Massachusetts, if I'm not mistaken. Nope. Once a Canadian, always a Canadian. You hear that, Drake? <laughs> I, I will definitely take uh, anything I can get here, because I know how much you guys, and Uswe in particular, loves to bag on my dear Canada. Oh, Canada. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think that a game that originated from people Literally having a peach tree basket with a hole cut in the bottom. Actually, it didn't even have a hole originally. You had to get a, climb a ladder to get the ball if you scored. Is now this game in which you got Steph Curry, you know, shooting the ball from mid court. It's kind of insane how in 130 years the game has evolved so much to become the entertaining worldwide phenomenon that it is today. And it's evolved in more ways than one. I would love to see. The guys who actually were there to play that game. I'm just guessing it looks a lot different than the modern NBA. That's for sure. So guys, last year we had a what ended up being a really popular episode amongst our listeners in which we did our Christmas wish list. So we thought we'd bring that again this year for 2021. So Christmas is on the horizon. You know, we had a good slate of basketball games. Hopefully they're able to go ahead with all this COVID stuff. But, you know, fingers crossed we got a full day of basketball. But I got a question for all three of you. Let's start with our first wish. What is one wish that you guys have for your personal teams that you root for? Anu, since you've been away for a while, why don't we start with you? Yeah, sounds good. Uh, for me, it's definitely going to have to be 
that Scotty Barnes remains healthy this season. And you guys know me. I, I'm a longtime Raptors fan, and we haven't had a, a rookie especially that's come into the league and has just, in a way, taken the league by storm. I, I know that a lot of people are going to say that uh, Mobley might be the rookie of the year, and I'm sure we'll have this podcast at some point, this podcast episode. But for me, Scotty Barnes has been absolutely incredible. The things that I'm able to see this guy do, the way he plays on the court, I have an affinity for like long, small forwards that are extremely versatile, and he's everything I could have wanted him more. And on top of that, he's just super unselfish. So I really want Scotty Barnes to just play out the rest of the season, suffer no injuries. Hopefully there's no COVID-related things that happened to him either, because so far he's just been a phenom for me. You know, just to jump in on that, Anushan, we'll have that debate one day about Mobley versus Barnes. The thing that impresses me about Scotty Barnes already in his young career is that he's both an immediate impact player who is doing a lot of little things that you don't expect from someone as young as him. But at the same time, he flashes basically on a nightly basis signs that he could end up becoming a superstar caliber player as well. So he's helping you in the present. And I think he's going to be an incredible asset long term as well. Hey, Lazarus, I like me a long, small forward, too. <laughs> I knew someone was going to comment on that. While I was saying it, I was like, ah, oh, goddamn. Like, I know Eric or someone is going to say some bullshit. <laughs> but no, yeah, I, I totally agree. For, for me, Scotty Barnes has all the makings of what you want out of that small forward position, right? He has incredible vision. He's a well above average defender. He has great like size. Not just is he six nine or six ten, but his body, this frame is is it's really good. It's, it reminds me of that LeBron James type of strength that he has to him. So I really am super hoping that he does not get injured because if he does, it's going to derail what could be potentially a very very good career. I mean, I'm just excited that you guys have a young prospect because Raptors fans are awesome. I love the energy that they bring. I love their the dedication that they have to their team. I mean, think about it. What other fan base is going to stand in the freezing Canadian night <laughs> just to watch a game? Like that that's that's dedication. So, for your sake, I hope you're right. I mean, I know the woes of of having young prospects with injury history and it's it's the worst. Yeah, for sure. And again, like I haven't had one of those young players to be excited for because for a long time, the Raptors have always been a playoff contending team, right? They've always been in the playoffs, gotten close to making like finals appearances or at least in the, the conference finals, right? So I haven't had a chance to root for someone like this in a while and I'm just soaking in every second of it. For sure. Eric, what you got? Well, for my wish for one of my various teams... I'm going to pick the Lakers. And on my wish list, I'm hoping and crossing my fingers that before the trade deadline is out, they can flip a few of their assets for a guy like Jeremy Grant, a wing player that can play defense and hit some threes. I zeroed in on Jeremy Grant because I've been looking at how the contracts line up, and I'm thinking – if possible, they'll be able to flip maybe Taylor Horton Tucker and someone like Kendrick Nunn with a minimum level player to get uh, Jeremy Grant. I, I don't know if this would actually happen. Of course, this is a little bit of wishful thinking. But at the moment, 
the Lakers have been disastrous and they have been disastrous guarding on the perimeter. Actually, they've been disastrous guarding most pla- uh, places on the court when accounting for individual defense because they don't really have any elite individual defenders uh, outside of AD and AD has been having a down year of sorts on defense. So yeah, that's, that's one of my wishes. Hopefully they could swing a three and D guy. So I want to zero in on a couple of things you said there, Eric, they have a real need for that kind of player in part because right now they don't have the personnel to properly go small with AD at the five. They're getting killed on the glass, right? So it's, it's even, Obviously, they can have an issue when they face teams with someone like a Kawhi or someone like a KD. They don't have anyone to guard them unless AD or maybe you can throw LeBron at them, but they don't have anyone to guard that kind of player. But setting that aside, they just can't really rebound because they're missing that Kyle Kuzma type of guy who can who has the size to play the four but still doesn't get killed on the glass. So I, I think there's value there. And I also think with Jeremy Grant, he is eligible for an extension uh, relatively soon and I'm not sure the Pistons want to pay him given that he is sort of far advanced in his career versus where someone like Cade Cunningham their building around is I'd still be surprised if they could actually get someone like Jeremy Grant because I do think there will be other teams out there with more to offer who would want someone like that but I do got a name for you Eric someone that I think could help the Lakers maybe not someone as good right now at least as Jeremy Grant, but actually gives them a little bit more youth too. How about using Tail and Horn Tucker and maybe none, uh, maybe even you know one of their few remaining first round picks to make a swing for someone like Cam Reddish from the Hawks? Because that's a guy who you know, plays elite defense at times and and certainly is a, a three and D kind of guy. He's bigger. He would give them a little more size, but he's also still younger. And I think when you're the Lakers, you gotta really be hesitant about trading away someone as young as THT to get yet another veteran who's a lot older. I I definitely, I would take Cam Reddish, but you know, <laughs> I'm doing a wish list, so I'm dreaming big. I'm, <laughs> no, I'm, fair I'm, enough. Fair <laughs> I'm enough. reaching for the stars. So like the optimum thing to do would be able to be able to acquire someone like Jeremy Grant. Now I do think Cam Reddish is probably more realistic. And I, I think it probably also, AC, would soften some of the blow of trading Taylor Horton Tucker in season when they already gave up a shit ton of assets, like letting Caruso go, just to keep him when, honestly, they could have kept Caruso, but that was some of their reasoning. They didn't want to spend the extra money keeping both of them. So I guess getting a young guy like Reddish who I actually think has a little more upside than Taylor, even though I'm sure Hawks fans who seem to oddly be, have been down on the guy for the last couple of years. He, he's a young guy. I don't know exactly what they expect from him, but yeah, I, I mean, I think he has quite a bit of upside. I still, if you're trying to optimize LeBron and AD being together, which they're only going to be together for a couple of years. LeBron is already on a downswing of his career. And it's obvious if you look at any advanced stats, what we're seeing, you need to get as good of players as you can right now. I don't know if they will be able to get someone of Grant's caliber. I actually suspect they won't, but yeah, I I think 
though he's more realistic, I'll be a little disappointed if it's reddish. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of in agreement here with with Eric as well. I I've been a big Jeremy Grant guy since more so his days with the Nuggets. I always thought it was a mistake that the the Nuggets end up letting him go because he really blossomed when he went to Detroit. Obviously, they're not playing winning basketball there, but he is definitely a guy who's developed more than just that three and D presence that you'd want out of a guy like Jeremy Grant, which is what he was projected to be. He can put the ball on the floor. He can score off the dribble. He's still a good defender as well. So, yeah, definitely a guy that I think if the Lakers happen to get him, then it's looking a bit brighter than the days that they're having right now, at least. Well, I actually understand where Eric's coming from and also why Hawks fans may be a little down on him. I mean, for his career, he's only a 38 from the field and 32 from beyond the arc. So I guess he's not going to be a reliable option to stretch the floor for them. But again, he's young. He's on a young team. And oftentimes, guys like those are moldable. I mean, did we think that Taylor Horton Tucker would be Taylor Horton Tucker, or what we project him to be when we first met him? Probably not, right? Like, I mean, he has the, the body, but, you know, young guys are young guys. Give them time. Give them a veteran like LeBron to be around. And I'm sure that, you know, his production will increase. And I also agree with AC in that you, you can't get rid of all your youth. You need some type of youth on your team because, I mean, look what happened to the Nets when they traded for all those old farts from the Celtics, right? Like they traded away their whole future for these old guys and what did it lead them? Now, I'm not trying to equate the two because I definitely feel like the Lakers are in much better position than the 2014 Nets were. But, you know, I don't are think... They though? Are they though? They still have LeBron James. They still have Anthony Davis. Well, let's see what condition he comes back in. I mean, he's out for four weeks minimal. Yeah, I, I think you mean pieces of Anthony Davis. They have a couple of those. There. Just like, the eyebrow, right? Like, 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 <laughs> like, like, bro, you literally showed a meme earlier where they were like part-time players, Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis. Come on, right. man. <laughs> right, right, Data right, Davis, right. as they call it, artist. <laughs> Data Davis. Exactly. <laughs> I mean... But can I just uh, jump in, though, sweet to respond yeah. to something you said? Sure. About his camera's uh, why like Hawks might be willing to get rid of someone like Reddish. I think the issue with the Hawks is they have so many other guys that are paying. It's redundant. Right? Like, they're going, yeah, they're going to be paying Hunter. They're going to be paying Kevin Herter. They're, they already paid Trey. They're going to, they already paid Collins, right? So, and they have all this, this nice core right there. Not to mention some of the other guys they traded for, like Bogdanovich, etc. So they're just not going to be able to keep everybody. And I think when you're looking for a team that can improve uh, via trade with the Lakers, obviously THT is their best asset. So you need the kind of team that would want THT. I think THD, I disagree with Eric that THD has a lower ceiling than Reddish. I think THD has a higher ceiling, but not on the Lakers. I agree. The Lakers have enough ball handlers. They don't need what THD brings to the table, which is basically he's a elite slasher. But they already have two of those guys in LeBron and Westbrook. So, But, but there are other teams out there that could use a little bit more of that. A team like the Mavericks, a team like the Hawks. So I, I do think they'll try to do something like that. But... Aswi, what's your wish for your Philadelphia 76ers? Well, I figure that you all might guess that my wish is that we trade Ben Simmons for Damian Lillard, right? Is is that fair to say that you guys were guessing that? Yeah. 
You're going to get CJ McCollum. <laughs> well, okay. Before I get to it, I, I, I need to answer, Eric. We do not need CJ McCollum. I feel like that would be a complete waste. We already have small guards. CJ won't help us at all. But it's, we digress. It's not, it's not what you need. It's what you're going to get. <laughs> well, it's like it's like that meme with uh, oh, we have uh, X at home sort of thing, right? Like you have yeah, the budget yeah. version of uh, Damian Lillard you're about to get. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> well, fuck you guys. First of all, second, no, that is actually not what I have. And for me, the number one thing is let's let's be realistic, guys. Are the Sixers? legitimate contenders for a title this season probably not and i'm not really sure if a mid-season trade would actually change that outcome at all i mean when does that happen like have you ever heard of a star being traded or even enough role players being traded to support just one star to win a championship that hey it happened with my raptors but that hey that was in the off season no no during the the trade deadline we got rid of jv and then we got marcus all and oh, he was a huge were... reason as to why we won. Yeah. I thought what you about... were referring to Kawhi. <laughs> also, what about Rashid Wallace as another example where, you know, a trade deadline right. deal made a difference in a championship? Yeah, but, but well, first of all, that Pistons team was an anomaly for many reasons. Um, second, fair you... enough. Right. And, and second, it's like, to Undershawn's point, the Raptors still had Kyle Lowry and it still had a very good deep team right we are looking for a number two guy right now it's just Embiid, but this is where my wish comes in because i realize i haven't even said it yet my wish is for Embiid and tyrese maxi to build a chemistry and really for maxi to have the ball in his hands at the end of the game now think about it like this Embiid in last night's game he dropped 40 against the celtics right i mean this is a game where our bench scored one point, and that was just a free throw last night, right? So Embiid was, and our starters, they they carried us, but Embiid was our closer. But realistically, can a guy like Embiid really be the closer in a playoff setting? Like, this was a regular season game. But when everyone is scheming against you for seven games, when you have some of these smart coaches like the Spolstras of the world, can you really afford to give it to Embiid to close the game like that? Because personally, I don't feel that way. This guy is one of the most notorious turnover guys in the league. Yesterday, he had five. That's not a viable way of winning a championship. When I think about how do you win a championship, it's like you have a Kobe and you have a Shaq. You need a guy on the perimeter. You need a guy on the outside who can kind of share the load. And it, 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 it keeps the defense honest. It changes up things. We're not relying on a seven-footer to do crazy step-backs to win games then. And Tyrese Maxey is no scrub at all. Just as a pick-and-roll ball handler in efficiency and stable points per possession, Tyrese Maxey is in the 98th percentile. Ironically, so is Embiid. But, I mean, we have a guy who's this good on the perimeter as a pick-and-roll guy. As a primary ball handler... He's great. His playmaking is great. Assist, he's in the 94th percentile per B-ball index. His passing creation volume is in the 95th percentile. That's just what he can do for others. But when it comes to adjusted drives, he's in the 100th percentile. Getting to the rim, 96th percentile. 
Contact finish rate, 90th percentile. This guy can drive, but he can also shoot really freaking well. He's in the 85th percentile for three-point gravity per 75 possessions. 99th percentile in three-point shot creation. You're telling me, Glenn, that you don't want this guy to have the ball in his hands? Now, I understand why Maxi's numbers have gone down when Embiid's been on the court so far this season. It's because he's deferring to the vets. He's a young kid. It's his second year. So naturally, he's going to defer to the vets. But with more reps, with more time, he's going to find where he likes the ball. And Embiid's going to have to find where he fits in that. I think, I think it's a, it's, we're, we're sitting on a gold mine. And we've yet to actually start mining because these two together could be so good because we've seen how good they are on their own. We should have known, AC, that he was going to have Tyrese Maxey up here. Obviously. (laughs) Just remember, AC, like two weeks ago, my man Oswee compared them to the truth. That's why Alan Iverson himself. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. Eric, how dare you? Refer to <laughs> Allen Iverson as the lowly truth. <laughs> I mean, I mean, inadvertently disrespecting people with nicknames dude, and dude, their dude. actual names. <laughs> Never compare one of the most badass players of all time to Mister. I need to go take a shit in the middle of a playoff game, aka yeah, Mister. Let me let me have a bunch of strippers on Instagram Live to my forty followers. Paul yeah, Pierce. but one of those, how dare but you? One of the, one of those guys has a ring, and the other guy, He's other than the same, other than not having a ring, is Jerry Stackhouse feeling uh, bad for him and refusing to beat him up one time. So I don't know. You, you you know you know who else has a ring? Timothy Mozgov. Uh, Javale McGee has three. J.R. Smith has two. And and don't and don't disrespect the the pride of (laughs) Keev. I'm just saying, man. Listen, I don't even know if he's from the Ukraine, though. He might be from Russia, but whatever. I'm pretty sure. I think he's Russian. Russian. Yeah, but (laughs) listen, Tyrese Maxey is the real deal, man. You guys, you should have known this. I've I've been so high on Tyrese Maxey. It's just. Watching him play, it's just amazing. The the kid just, it's so clear how hard he works. I mean, defensively, he might get a little lost, but so do all young guys. But if he he loses his man, he's sprinting right there and he's still contesting the shot. I mean, it's nothing but effort from him. And my biggest wish is we're not winning this year, so let's use this year to build chemistry between Tyrese, between Embiid, and... Seth and all these guys so that in the off season, when we dump the Australian for hopefully something better, we can build from this and legitimately contend next year. I love how Ben Simmons has now become like Voldemort. You know, you, just, you, don't, you don't actually name him by name. You're just like the Australian. We dump him. Um, I, I want to respond quickly about uh, Tyrese Maxey. You know, on top of just potentially building chemistry, I think one really valuable reason to play him a little bit more than Doc Rivers has, especially to put the ball in his hand down the stretches, I think you kind of want to see this year what Tyrese Maxey really is as a player. Because you're absolutely right. From an advanced stat perspective, he reads an elite player, especially in the pick and roll. I mean, there's very few players in the league who are in the 90th percentile in both three-point shot creation and also getting to the rim and finishing. Uh, and especially when you put that in the context of being in the pick and roll, not even guys 
like you would think would be really up there or even there. So he flashes that. At the same time, other times I watch him and I think to myself that his ceiling as a player might just be as like a really good sixth man because he's still kind of small. I'm not exactly sure how far a team can go if Tyrese Maxey really is your sort of primary ball handler, especially down the stretch. But that's exactly why Doc Rivers needs to play him and find out. So, you know, for your sake and the sake of the Sixers fans, I do hope that that happens. AAC, you know who else was small? Allen Iverson. This is the most blasphemous thing any Sixers fan has ever said. We're going to remember this. You're gonna, yeah. bruh, bruh, we already told him how blasphemous this was. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> For the record, guys, and I, I challenge you all to go listen to our Sixers pod that we recently did. I personally have never made that comparison. I said that that is something that people in Sixers circles have mentioned. He reminds them of an yeah. efficient... <laughs> You know what this reminds me of, guys? You know, you see, like, in the movies when, like, this guy goes to his doctor and he's like, you know, my friend is having erectile dysfunction. That's what this reminds me of. Exactly. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say it, but the some Sixers fans, some of them said it. But now I'm going to repeat something that they said for no reason when we're talking about your opinions. See, the thing is, I agree with AC in that there are some fundamental issues and number one is his size, right? Now in that just then was the only time I ever made a comparison Iverson Maxi because the point being a small player can still do a lot. Now, hopefully he does pan out, but we won't know unless my wish comes true and I still see Glenn kind of dragging his feet on giving Maxi more of the ball in the end of the game. Because I get it, it's Embiid's team, but we're not winning if it's just Embiid at the end of the at the end of the game. No, one hundred percent, Osui. I mean, a great example of what you're talking about is what Pop did on the Spurs, right? It was Duncan's team, but he slowly moved on and gave the ball to other people. Yeah, but we've had enough about the Sixers. It's my <laughs> turn to talk about my wish for the New York Knicks, and I'm going to focus on to a be guy relevant? here. To be relevant? <laughs> to be relevant. Ooh. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> Oh, shots fired. <laughs> I don't even have a comeback. That's just, uh, it hit me it's deep the truth. there. I'll see. It's the truth. You, uh, you took a sniper rifle to my heart there. But, uh, no, my wish is actually that it's very simple. It's not even asking that much. I actually think it can even happen. It's a realistic wish. It's just that RJ Barrett starts playing more like he did last season instead of this season. Because in the end of the day, we came into this year thinking we had uh, a 21-year-old kid who had a really good season and you know shot 40% from three and someone we could build around or use as a trade asset to get someone like a real star. This year, he has not been that player. His three-point shot has regressed. He's shooting 35% from three. I feel like he's lost a little bit as a playmaker. Uh, his assist numbers are down. His advanced stats are down across the board. I think for us to become what we can be both again in terms of developing him naturally, but also using him potentially in a trade. We need him to be better than he has been right now, because right now I don't think there's any teams out there that would be dying to have RJ Barrett, even though I think that he possesses a lot of skills that are useful to a lot of teams because he can create. And that's always, uh, you know, a very valued thing in the NBA, given the right kind of personnel around him. I would argue that he has suboptimal you know, personnel around him, especially from a shooting standpoint. Um, but I think he can be better than he has been, and I believe that he ultimately will be. 
Yeah, I love R.J. Barrett. I mean, he's one of my Canadian guys, so I gotta give credit to him. But, I mean, it's everything like you said. For for me, actually, I was so surprised last season looking at his three-point percentage because he never even panned out to be a guy who could be such a deadly catch-and-shoot player, especially from the corner. He was a monster. And it's more than just that, that ability to just shoot the ball. I mean, like you said, his ability to get to the basket, to create for himself, to finish with contact. And he's a player who has great size too, especially at that two, three spot, especially from last year. If he can just build upon those like early steps that he's, he's had for himself, I think that the sky's the limit for this kid. I agree with what Lazarus just said. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, RJ... I still look at him as a bit of a blue chipper who's just, as you said, AC, with suboptimal personnel. So I I don't want to be too hasty in saying that it's just him having a, a down year and he's regressing. I think a bunch of factors is, are going on. The suboptimal personnel, as a creator, that really hurts you. The fact that there have been rule changes for a young guy that's going to take a, a little bit to get used to. Not saying that the rule changes affected him like a person like Trey Young, but they affect all the players in the league. And again, he's a third year guy. So at one time, years ago, he would have just been in his first year this year, probably. But he's a third that's, year that's guy. A, that's you a know, good point, oh, Eric. That's a really yeah, good point. So he's still really young. And and because we're so used to seeing 19-year-olds come in the league, now we don't even give some type of grace period where it's like, this guy hasn't even gotten his full man body, his full athleticism, and his full ability to actually read the game. So he has a lot of tools there, but we got to give him a little time. And that's a really good point, Eric. And it just speaks to how sports sometimes are, or what are you done for me lately kind of thing, right? I mean, he was great last season. He's still young. And already you can, you can feel the consternation when you talk to Knicks fans just about RJ because they know that he's their young guy. I mean, you know, Julius Randle overachieved last season. I think we could all say that. But Yep, yep. You know, but RJ, he's young and he projected to maybe take another leap this season and he hasn't so far, but he still might. And, you know, Anu mentioned his, his corner three-point percentage. You know, courtesy of B-Ball Index, we can see how bad he's been this season. He's actually only in the 32nd percentile amongst all corner three-point shooters this season. So that shot that was such a bread and butter shot for him just one year ago has totally abandoned him this year, unfortunately. What what do you think that could be? I mean, I know shooting is a lot of confidence-based, but I mean, is it just because there are bigger crowds now and he's getting nervous or something? I mean, I I don't know. I, I can't speculate on that. There, there's certainly been some evidence, at least, that you know, in the bubble, there was maybe some sort of a improved shooting percentage with better sight lines, and, and it persisted a little bit last year. This year, maybe it's the rule changes. Maybe you know, it's it's the crowds being back, but shooting is actually down across the board. Even Steph, for as great as he is, he's actually having a relatively, I mean, by any other else's standards, to be an amazing shooting season, but his shooting is down too this year. So. You know, I, it's part of what's going on in the NBA in general, but I, I still think the biggest fundamental problem is is just having suboptimal personnel 
I mean, multiple times in a game, he's playing with two, maybe three guys who can't shoot. So he can't do what he does best, which is drive to the hoop and create for others. So, uh, you know, maybe that'll change with better personnel and him just getting a rhythm. Well, I'm glad you weren't wishing for like a star or somebody to come to the Knicks. This is a little bit more attainable. This guy's got his shots, man. He's got his shots today. He's already took a sniper rifle through my heart. Now he's in the shotgun <laughs> to my head. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> hey, man, you know I love the Knicks, too. I just love giving you shit for being a Knicks fan. Double I mean, homicide. At yep. the end of the day, it wouldn't be a Brown Men Won't Jump podcast if us, we didn't make jokes about the Knicks or about Canada. So <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us then, guys, to our second wish. So we, we've talked about what we wish for our own team. What about something that you wish for another team, uh, you know, or you know, maybe the league in general, maybe another player that's not on the team that you root for regularly? What do you got, Ishan? So my wish is actually for the league as a whole, and it it's somewhat going to be a bit more on the like recent side or what we can expect to see in the next few days. And that's just that I don't want the Christmas games to be canceled or at least like moved out of the way or, you know, something to go awry because of the COVID restrictions and things of, of that sort. For me, growing up, there was no better feeling than watching the most high profile teams play right after each other. It was just amazing, and it just filled up the, the whole day for me. So I really hope that doesn't get ruined at all. Well, you're in luck, Anushan, because today, Commissioner Silver went on NBA Today with Malika Andrews, and he was asked about that, about whether all these crazy health and safety protocols and the wave of COVID cases across the league, if that would affect the Christmas schedule. And he said that there are no intentions of canceling them but he assured that there is a contingency plan in place should a postponement need to be had because of all of the COVID cases. But teams won't be notified of that until I think like the 11th hour on Christmas Eve. So as of right now, those games are going to be on. But I warn you, Anushan, if you're expecting a like a LeBron v. KD matchup, you should probably expect like a Wayne Ellington, Bruce Brown type thing, because with the way COVID's going, it's going to be a bunch of bench warmers and G League players that are going to headline this one. And yeah, that was like another one of my concerns regarding the Christmas games, because even if they were to be played, and as it seems right now, like you just said, it seems like they are. I mean, I don't want them to be headlined by Bruce Brown and Wayne Ellington. <laughs> I want LeBron and KD to be going at it. I still remember the Christmas Day game that the Cavs played against the Warriors. That was one of the most exciting Christmas Day games I think I've ever seen. Where, and where Kyrie hit the game winner. That exactly, one? exactly. Oh, yeah. It was just like, it just felt so much fun to watch. Like, you're just at the edge of your seat. It felt like a finals matchup, right? And I mean, obviously it was, but. At the time, it was like, holy shit, like we get to watch these teams for the first time just completely go at it. And it was just great to see. And now, I mean, I just hope that we can see some of the elite talent in the league actually be able to play. Well, I'm a basketball heroin addict, so I need (laughs) it in my veins. I need it in my veins on Christmas, accompanied with my food and some wine. So I don't care if it's Wayne Ellington against Bruce Brown. I want that. I need that. Wait, Eric, I know you're old, but you were a fan in the 70s, basketball heroin addict? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Heroin ain't only for the 70s. (laughs) Look around (laughs) Appalachia. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, Adushan, I, I love that wish because it is such a part of a tradition of an NBA fan. You know, growing up, my friends and I would gather every single Christmas and watch those games from morning till night. That is part of our tradition. There's another factor as well, guys, because quietly over the last few years, the big bad NFL has kind of stepped in onto the NBA's, you know, monopoly on Christmas. They've had a couple of games on Christmas themselves. They understand the value of, of playing games in which there's a national audience and everyone is tuning in. The NBA can't afford to postpone these games. And I would actually argue they really can't even afford to just have terrible games either. I mean, because this season has had recovered ratings. And if people are just feeling like they're watching like the replacement players play, it's going to take away from that. So I, I really hope that you're right, Anushan. I mean, yeah, to your point, AC, this Saturday, while we're watching basketball games, I'm going to be watching my Packers on my phone. And I really wish I didn't have to do both. I, I kind of don't like that the NFL is is trying to steal the NBA show here. I hope it's not something that becomes a thing. NFL has Thanksgiving. Let them have Thanksgiving. Let us have Christmas. Boo. Boo, Oswe. Don't look at the game. Boo. <laughs> hey, man. I own the team. I got to support my team, you know? The Sixers aren't playing on <laughs> <laughs> this the Sixers aren't playing on Christmas, so I I gotta watch <gasps> my property play. You know, guys, guys nobody has has gotten more mileage out of owning one share of something than us. We have not owning one share of the Packers. <laughs> yeah, how many so how many persons own a share of the Packers? Is it like something like fifty thousand people or something? It's it's, it's thousands, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. I am one of many, but together we are strong. We are the best franchise in the NFL. Okay, put, Mr. Monopoly man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a real put that on your resume type of a vibe right there. Maybe I Owner should. Of a professional sports team. Maybe I should. <laughs> Maybe I should. So, Eric, what's your wish for a, a non-Lakers, either the team or the league or a player on another team? So, I think being in a group chat with you all, you have been seeing me for the last... I'll say about two weeks, subtly talk about one guy. Every time we talk about guys who are just doing great this year. And my wish is for NBA punditry and media to give my man Nikola Jokic his flowers. And oh, act yeah. As, oh, yes. And, and act as if he's one of the elite guys in the league. And when I say one of the elite guys... I'm saying right now, he's the best guy. And I don't even care if, if that's a hot take, then I'm on fire. Can you clarify, though? Are you saying he's playing the best? Or are you saying that he's actually the best player right now? I'm saying that man is otherworldly dominant right now. He's better than everyone. Wow. I said what I said. Also, can we get a hot take alert? Hot take alert. All right, Eric. I mean, I can't say you're wrong. It's actually kind of stunning. I, I will say that you have been the first person. Now it's it's started to become a thing where, you know, I, I heard Zach Logan on a Jokic rant the other day, but well before that happened, Eric Fullwood said in our text thread, why is nobody paying attention to Jokic? I think what triggered that was when former players were voting on who they thought the best player was. And I think like Jokic was so far down the list that you found it to be offensive a little bit. 
Oh, definitely offensive, abhorrent, just outrageous. But I mean, like if you look at what he's doing statistically, like he's leading the NBA in VORP. He's leading the NBA in BPM and defensive uh, box plus minus and offensive box plus minus win shares per 48 win shares. If you like something that admittedly I don't like PR, he's so far above the next contender, Giannis, that it's a gap. I don't think in all the time I've been looking at that stat, I've ever seen quite the gap he has. There's like, he's at 34, Giannis is at 30. And if the season were to end today, he would set the record for PER. Of course, he set the record last year for PER. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I have no clue when we mention MVPs, we mention Kevin Durant, we mention Steph Curry. We never mention Nikola Jokic. I, like that man can't be stopped. He's fantastic. You know, Eric, to your point, I heard something recently where it's like, if you think about the guys who have the most touches per game, you have guys like LeBron and Harden and like the low nine, mid to low 90s, right? But their time of possession is about eight or nine minutes per game. Jokic, he averages 99.9, I believe, touches per game. And his time of possession is like four and a half minutes. So what does that tell you? just shows that this guy has like lightning quick decision making, whether it's passing, whipping a pass across the court, or it's just scoring. I mean, this man is so talented and we thought his season last year was incredible. And then he comes out and does this. I mean, he's gotten in shape. He's playing defense better than ever before. We used to say that he wasn't a great defender, but now at worst, he's a solid defender. And that's because he's in shape now. So when you have that skill set, when you have the body, when you have the mind, I mean, anybody who thinks that Jokic is not probably, I would even say a top three player this season, if not the best player right now, this season, they're not looking closely enough because yes, Steph is having an incredible season. KD's having an incredible season, but what Jokic is doing this season is an all time great season, all time great. We've never seen a big man with a season like this. It's something else. Yeah, I mean, just to piggyback off of us, we hear it, it's obvious why he doesn't get talked about a lot, right? For for one, the Nuggets just aren't winning. It's Denver. <laughs> it's not like they they're a big market or have any real cultural relevance. Right, right, but that's also due in part with them just being heavily injured, right? Like that's the main reason why they're not winning. Um, and Jokic has like literally no one to work with. And even with that being the case, he's still having an incredible, incredible season. But to go on with that, it's just his game is just not sexy to the, the average viewer. I mean, for us, because we love watching the intricacies of basketball, a guy like Jokic to us is very exciting, right? The small things he does, the reads he can make off of playing in the post, right? He's one of the best posts. Uh, passer is one of the best post players that we have in the league. He's an incredible shooter. Uh, he does all the uh, the dirty work. But for the average fan, he's not a Steph Curry. He's not going to dribble around, you know, create his own shot from three, hit incredible step back shots. He's not like a, a LeBron James type with superior athleticism. 
He doesn't do any of those things that the average fan goes, wow, that's amazing. So for us, it's like we look at the things he's doing. He's easily scoring a light 30, grabbing like 15 boards, getting like 10 assists a game, almost like getting a triple-double every game. But like he does it in the most quiet and non-appealing matter that, you know, it just people just brush it off like it's nothing. But what he's doing is incredible. Guys, you ever heard of the banality of evil? Uh, no, I have not. But I'm excited okay. to hear about it, Eric. It's it's just like um this idea that Hannah Arendt came up with when she was a reporter covering like Nazi war criminals that guys who are evil they're almost bureaucratic in their evil doing that there's nothing like especially special about them. Well, Jokic has this quality that I think works against him that he has mundane greatness. Like, he's the greatest passing big man ever. But, like, you all have intimated, I don't think that's something in general that, like, stands out to people when they're watching basketball and they're laymen. Like, how he reads the floor. Like, his his vision is, like, it's one of one for the position he plays. So, when they see him and he gets, as you said, the 30, 15, and 10 stat lines that happen fairly often for him, it's just, well, it, it happened, but it didn't stand out. So I, I, I do think his game, though, for us who are really into ball, is, it stands out as being like one of the most unique, exceptional games that you'll ever see. Is still something that I don't think it translates to those who are just looking just to be casually entertained. You know, Eric, you made a point about Jokic you know, being a one-on-one for his position as a passer, he may just be a one-on-one as a passer, period. Because he's one of the few guys I've ever seen in my life who throws passes that I'm not entirely sure that other people can even throw. And certainly nobody's attempting. Like, so he really is that level of a special passer. But I actually think that it's less to do with him being unexciting because I think that his game is exciting enough and he's his passes are flashy enough. This is not Tim Duncan on the block posting up a million times a game he can do a little bit of everything and, and you know he'll throw a crazy touch pass he'll hit a rainbow three you know he'll just kill someone with a really flashy up and under you know dream-esque uh, post move i think it's more to do with what Adushan said that they're just not winning enough and ultimately that's what's holding him back and it's really unfair because his team just isn't healthy right now it's not just that they don't have Michael Porter Jr. They also still don't have Jamal Murray back. I will say, though, last year at about this time, the Nuggets were about this record. They were about 15-15. and 15, And from then on, Jokic really turned it on and the team started winning. And then they won so much, he wound up as the MVP. I would not be shocked to see something like that happen again, assuming that, say, Jamal Murray comes back and is something like what he was before. So... Just to end, I just wanted to make this last point. I think what stands out to me so much about the season Jokic is having, it reminds me so much of LeBron between 2006 and 2011. Of course, LeBron won some MVPs in those years. But every one of those seasons, statistically, he was so, as far as advanced stats are concerned, more dominant than his peers. But... It was almost expected of him, and it became normative because he did it every night, every season. 
So as a LeBron stan, as you all have have called me at various times, I see almost like a statistical kindred spirit between LeBron and Jokic, where it's just, I, I have to give the man his kudos because he's he's doing something historical right now. And I, I just don't think enough people realize it. Aswe, what do you got for your wish for another team or player or the league? So given that my phone has been ringing, I want to say every five to 15 minutes with tweets from Shams and Woj and all sorts of basketball folks about, oh, this player has entered COVID protocols or this team has this COVID precaution or this game has been postponed. I think in the past month, it's been 101 players and about currently over 80 players are in health and safety protocols. So my wish for the league is, well, the league can't mandate that players are vaccinated. They can't mandate that coaches are vaccinated. But what they can do is enforce some type of mask mandates for fans. Now, last week, AC and I went to some games at the Staples Center in LA. When you get to the front door, they check your vax card. And there is a strict mask mandate. Marcus Spears said this on the Windy Pod. Like, we as fans, when we come to games and we're yelling, we are putting these players at risk also. We're putting the game of basketball at risk also if we're not wearing masks. I mean, there's literally thousands of us. We're all stuck in this building and we're all directing our shouts and conversations toward the court. I think it's a simple thing and it's really not too much of a wish to ask if you really think about it. But I, I wish that teams would implement mask mandates and even uh, vax mandates. But if they don't want to do it, at the very least, mask mandates at the door throughout the stadium so that we can at least keep these players safe because they're there to entertain us. So it's kind of our responsibility to help make sure that they're OK, too. I think all of us here would agree with that. But it's funny that you said that you think that isn't that much to ask for as a wish. Sadly, with the reality of the way that, yeah. you know, masks and vaccines are perceived in, in place in this country, there's no guarantee that any of these things are easy. It's more likely that mass mandates will happen than Jeremy Grant gets traded to the Lakers. Is that fair to say? <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate. <laughs> I, feel I think, yeah. Both are that's, uphill that's battles. Both are uphill battles in their own ways. But... I mean, I think I think it would just make a big difference. Like we said before, like no one's coming to see random G League player play against random other G League player. We're coming to see the big names. And we're not going to get that if half of them are in COVID protocol. Yeah, okay, that's C- fair. Okay, CJ McCollum. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> so my wish is for a specific player that Anushan knows very well. And this guy, unfortunately, no longer plays for his team. But I know, Anushan, you got a lot of love for him. And that is one, DeMar DeRozan. Oh, yeah. And what I want for DeMar DeRozan is for him to get the sort of recognition that he deserves for fundamentally improving as a basketball player. I think for a lot of people, and I I have to say, I was guilty of this myself. When I think of DeMar DeRozan... I thought about the many playoff series in which at times he would struggle, right? And he would struggle for some legitimate reasons. Part of it was he was facing, you know, LeBron at the peak of his powers. Part of it was 
he was a little bit too reliant on free throw drawing, which, as we know, dries up in the playoffs. And part of it was that he was, you know, kind of a sieve on defense. And when you couple all that with the fact that he wasn't really a three-point shooter, his game just didn't translate to playoff basketball. And so when he went to San Antonio and then, you know, Kawhi Leonard, the guy he's traded for, ends up leading the Raptors to a championship, it was kind of easy to forget about DeMar to the point that this summer when he was, you know, rumored to potentially go to the Lakers, I didn't even think too much of it. I, I, to me, that seemed like a an unnecessary move. And I, I think as many people thought, maybe DeMar DeRozan was an overpay by the Bulls. Well, he's proving that he isn't at all and that he actually improved a lot in San Antonio, even though now he's you know, getting older up into his 30s. He's actually a better basketball player now, I think, in some really important ways than he was in Toronto. First and foremost, he's a far more credible defender. He'll always be, at best, average, I think, on that end. But just from like a where he is, understanding of the game perspective, he's at least in the right place at the right time. And he's, he's kind of a big guard. So it's not like, you know, for what he lacks in strength, he certainly makes up for in length. So he has that going for him. But he's also just refined the parts of his game, his mid-range game, to a point now that I think he's one of the, if not the most deadly mid-range player in the NBA. And he's using that to close games out. One of the best ways to close games is in the mid-range, because teams are going to take away open threes. They're going to take away drives to the, you know, the rim. And DeMar DeRozan has been absolutely spectacular. He is leading the entire league in fourth quarter scoring and clutch scoring he's been amazing i hope that this translates to a year in which he gets maybe some real all nba recognition maybe a second team i mean right now i would even have him as my first team guard the way that he's playing right now uh next to steph curry so i just hope that that continues and that he gets a little bit of love from the nba community for a player who's been really good for a long time well i'm really glad that you mentioned damar i mean i was quietly watching the season that he's having. And I've always like watched uh, DeMar once he left the Raptors as well. And he's having an incredible season. Like, like you said, I mean, he's a guy who for years has been a incredible mid range player. Now has developed out to the three point line. And one thing that he does extraordinarily well is he's a guard that posts up. And that's something that, you know, not a lot of guards tend to do in, in the league, especially today. In today's league, I mean, we've seen it before in the past with a guy like Michael Jordan, who's probably the best at guard post-ups. Then you have a guy like Kobe Bryant, who's extraordinarily good at it, too. And now DeMar DeRozan sort of falls into that same category, maybe not to the same level as those two. But he's certainly incredible on, on the block if you put if you want to put him down low there. And like you mentioned, his size being at that 6'7 mark he's going to be able to shoot over the top of smaller defenders. So he's always going to be a mismatch problem for a lot of teams to deal with. Uh, I think that his playmaking has been really good, especially after leaving the Raptors, going to the Spurs. He became a bit better of a playmaker. And now that he has to play with a team that has a lot of talent around it with the Bulls and a lot of guys who can score the ball, I think that that willingness to just give up the ball and get it back and close out games at certain times is going to be really important for him. Yeah, just to give you some numbers on what you mentioned there, Anishan, about his improvement as a playmaker, right? So he is in the 98th percentile in generating assists per pass. And he's also 
in the 81st percentile in passing efficiency. And also on top of all of that, he's a 96th percentile in scoring gravity. He's able to draw double teams at a far higher rate than most of the stars out there in the NBA right now. So he's genuinely become a playmaker. And that's been amazing to see. So guys, this season, we saw the impact of massive rule changes that across the board on this podcast, we feel have made this season better than most in recent history. So I guess the question is, for your last wish, if there's something you could change about the league, whether it's rules, coverage, whatever, what would it be? I was thinking about this, guys. Last year, we had a wishlist pod where Anu Asmi and I asked for the very rule changes that were implemented. So I do believe we have kind of some kind of power here. I don't know if Asmi dramas or Anu dramas, what we should go with here, but we, Us, we have been able... Asmi dramas, definitely. We have been able to actually, apparently, call for things. And I guess, you know, Adam Silver's listened to this pod too. So I was thinking about one of the few things left in the NBA that really still bothers me from a rule perspective. And that is what you call the take foul or the Euro foul. And this is something that fundamentally makes the game more boring. I think all of us here would agree that the most exciting play in basketball at every level is a fast break. Everyone kind of rises out of their seats. We're waiting for an alley-oop, maybe a nice dunk, a crazy and one. And what happens in the NBA now when I would say like 70 to 75% of the time, especially when teams not over the limit, when there's a turnover, someone just grabs the guy and then, you know, they just inbound the ball and the, the fast break dies. That's what you call the take foul for those of you who might not know it. It is frankly really made the game slower. It's made the game less exciting. You know, and it would be so easy to fix this too. I mean, all you have to do is implement some sort of an additional penalty for if you tr- if you foul someone in this situation, like kind of did with clear paths right now. But clear path that doesn't go far enough. It's just too easy to stop a fast break and completely prevent the most exciting part of basketball. So it's an easy change and it needs to be made. No, I totally agree with you, AC. It's it's something that I really hate too because, I mean, fast break plays are just so fundamental when it comes to basketball and not being able to execute them and, you know, have a, a highlight for, you know, top 10. It's just, it, it sucks, right? And I was talking about this exact thing with uh, Ubi, our, our jazz fan, as everyone on the podcast might know. Um, and we were discussing ways in which, you know, how could we find a way to fix this, right? We, we kind of came up with a solution in, in a way. Maybe, because as you guys know, the clear path foul, if, if it's called, it's two free throws plus the ball, right? So in this case, I guess if a take foul is committed, and it's obvious that it's a take foul, you know, the uh, change of possession has been made. I mean, just give the other team one free throw. One free throw, possession, go from there. Otherwise, it's just, it's too ridiculous that they can just get away with a take foul for basically nothing. I mean, it, it's just really silly to me. That's actually a, a really creative idea there, Anu, because it's a penalty, but maybe not one as severe as the, as the, the two-shot clear path. What about you, Eric? What are you thinking in terms of something that you would change about the league or the rules or something like that? Well, one thing I would change is something that has to do with media. So a lot of what we know about the league's dealings in regards to COVID has been through the media. I think uh, uh, the media has played a pretty prominent role in shaping the narratives around it. And 
I think I just want the media to be more logically consistent because for a while early in the season and going into like camps, we were being told like that there was this like incredibly like pig headed contingent of players who were not being vaccinated or refusing vaccinations. And it was almost going to be like a cataclysmic event that happened because of the lack of vaccinations. So we, we constantly heard stuff about Andrew Wiggins and Kyrie Irving in particular. And then the Nets went out and which I don't have a problem with what they did told Kyrie, you're not going to be a part-time player. You're going to sit home until you actually get vaccinated. And that's fair because they play in a place that vaccines are mandatory. And the media just like, they excoriated the players who weren't vaccinated. But then this past week, when the Nets and the ownership decided, oh, actually, Kyrie doesn't have to get vaccinated. We're going to allow him to be a part-time player. I don't hear any of the think pieces that we heard earlier this year, like exhorting the guys who weren't vaccinated to get vaccinated and trying to essentially like use some type of pulpit to change this, like what they thought was somehow like deviant behavior in the face of like a public health issue. They're not then calling out the ownership who's like, Immediately now, because players are falling like flies, like, oh, yeah, well, that thing we said earlier this year about you being a part-time player and we're not going to have it and you needed to actually get vaccinated, we're throwing that out the window. So whatever moral like stance we were making, nah, 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 money talks and we need to keep these wins on the board. And I, I just don't understand why the media isn't calling out that inconsistency. So for me... I just want the media to be like fair and balanced with their narratives. Well, Eric, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I, I remember I watched uh, coverage of this on first take and Stephen A was not mincing words. I mean, he never does, but you know, he was pretty harsh on, on this. So I, I, I you mean everyone in the media to attack them or. No, so Stephen A. Smith is one person, to be fair. And I, I saw the same thing. Like, Stephen A. Smith has spoken about it. And in fact, I would give Stephen A. Smith one thing. He's been the biggest mouthpiece I could think of criticizing guys for not being vaccinated and criticizing, like, the leagues on their, like, like almost indifference at times to public health. But... Stephen A. Smith isn't the only pundit and, and quite a few pundits who were covering Kyrie in particular and in a manner where they were making it as if Kyrie was typhoid Mary. They're kind of quiet when it comes to the fact that the Nets are essentially about to have him playing, even though he's not vaccinated. I, I think what Eric is saying here is there's almost like a little bit of holier than thou coverage at times with the media and it's extraordinarily inconsistently applied and what eric is just pointing out is one example of this where a, a standard is used against a certain player or against a certain team and then it's just ignored in other contexts we've seen this over and over again 
in the NBA. And it's something that I think in general, the standard that the basketball media is held to is far too low. I would even say just in terms of coverage of basketball in general. But I, I totally get where you're coming from with that, Eric. Aswi, what is your wish for the league generally? So my wish for the league is actually something that I remember you said. We were watching a football game, and after the play, Tony Romo was breaking down what happened. And I remember you saying, I wish NBA coverage was like this. And really what it is, is like, if you think about it, football is a complex game. But for the viewer, after every play, they break down what happened. And you could really see the beauty of the game. Now, I understand basketball, it, it, it doesn't stop nearly as much as football does. But I feel like the different broadcasters could do a lot better if they could say, hey, remember this play that occurred back then? Let's break it down or something like that. You know, rather than just the halftime people or the post-game coverage, I feel like if you see it live, if they say, oh, well, this guy's tending to do this, blah, blah, blah. Then as you watch the game, your eyes will notice that a little bit more. So I think in order to spread the beauty of the game better, I I just think the coverage could be a lot better and more about the actual game that's being played and less about insert X that Jeff Van Gundy is going to bitch about, you know? I could not agree more with what you said there, Aswi. The media partners of the NBA have done a real disservice to the sport itself. They focus so much on these sort of big picture headlines and easy storylines instead of focusing on the game itself. And the negative of doing that is from spreading this game across to audiences is one, audiences miss the subtle stuff. As Eric alluded to before, they've missed the kind of things that Jokic is doing on a nightly basis. They don't hear about teams and players outside of the LeBrons and the Stephs, right? So they don't know there's more going on. And what happens then is, if you're banking entirely on selling the sport based on a few stars playing well, well, guess what's going to happen? Eventually, they're going to get injured. They're going to get older. They're going to decline a little bit, like we've seen at times with LeBron this season. And then you have an audience that doesn't know who else to root for, what else to be excited for, where this sport is so beautiful. It's so deep. There's so much to it. And there's so many people out there who are doing great analysis, even on ESPN's own networks, right? Someone like Zach Lowe, he should be at least you know in the studio show talking about what he's seeing out there. And there are many other guys like that across the networks, and they're just not getting that opportunity. And I, I would like that to happen. It's funny that you mentioned guys getting older or getting hurt. Well, we've already seen the precedent for this before. In the late 90s, when Michael Jordan retired, <laughs> the league, as far as viewership, actually went down for some years because the, the league was built around Jordan in the 90s. So there wasn't a smooth transition from Jordan to the heir apparent. For real. And, and some of that is also on the league because the league itself has promoted stars maybe at times at the expense of basketball, where the, the two things are actually... Like, you don't have to make it either or a thing, right? If you show the world what is going on from an X's and O's standpoint, it makes the guys like LeBron, like Steph, 
like Jokic look even that much better because of what they're able to do in the context of what's happening around them. It's why the casual audiences can appreciate the subtle reads that someone like a Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers can make, but they can't appreciate the same thing that Nikola Jokic is doing from the high post. So I, I think there's a lot of room for improvement in that. And Anushan, you have our final guy who's going to give his wish. So what, pray tell, does our beloved Canadian want for the NBA? <laughs> well, I, I think it's a wish that we all uh, would definitely want to have happen. And just honestly, what it is, is I just hate the way that strong players are officiated in the game right now. Recently, Julius Randle, your guy, AC, he came out with a statement where he said, and I quote, they said because certain contact doesn't affect me like it affects other players because I'm stronger, they miss calls. This has been the case with LeBron for years too, a guy who's extremely physically gifted, and every time he would go to the basket, he would honestly get hacked a ton, and they would be missing out on calls. And people wonder why LeBron complains a lot and, you know, yada, 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 all this. And yes, LeBron is a notorious complainer, but, you know, in some cases he has a right to complain. And honestly, I know that you can definitely attest to this because we have had a conversation before where we talked about how the league needs more strong ball. We need players who can go down low, draw contact, play a draining style of basketball, yes, but it's a style that should get rewarded. It shouldn't be the opposite way where there's a lot of weaker players who get minimal contact, but, you know, they end up flopping and doing a bunch of crazy stuff and the leagues crack down on this with the new rule changes. But, you know, I just hate seeing it the opposite way where the weaker players always tend to get more of the calls as opposed to the the guys who have the physical gifts. I 100% agree. Players who played in the 90s say that the game is soft now. Well, the thing is, the rules make it that way. You saw what happened when they changed the foul rule. Now it's more physical than it was before. We're better off when there's a level of physicality to the game. It requires more heart, and and that is infectious. When you see guys, you know, muscling through, it, it gets the crowd going. It gets the team going. It's good for morale. It's good for the sport. All these ticky-tack fouls, like they've been calling recently, like that only hurts the game. So I 100% agree with you. Hey, Lazarus, you were spitting, especially that LeBron part. Yeah, well, <laughs> for sure, Eric, gonna, <laughs> his ears are going to perk up when he hears LeBron, so I got to put that in there for you, my guy. I would actually add also that when you don't reward guys like LeBron for driving and getting hit, what ends up happening is exactly what Ebon Trumpert said just, I think, today or yesterday, where he talked about why LeBron flopped, and he said basically... LeBron made a decision that if he's not going to get calls, he's going to have to sell contact a little bit because, you know, the little guy goes flying and they get a call every time. I will say, though, that it's a much harder thing to fix than like simply saying there's a rule change because the rules exist that say if you, if you get hit, it's, it's a foul. But for a long time, the big guy has been hurt just because they don't obviously fall down. So the refs miss it. And far more than LeBron, the guy who was really punished by this, for years and years and years, was Shaquille O'Neal. And it's in part because Shaquille O'Neal was such a bad free throw shooter that if you did get a foul, it was still like a better outcome than him just dunking it. But this man would take such a beating. And I don't mean just like a foul. He would People would like smack him with two hands. You know, they would hold him and they'd do everything they could. And it wasn't enough, but 
he took a, a real beating and the referees did a terrible job of protecting him because he was so big and strong. So 100% Anu, it's something I wish could change. I just don't know if it actually ever will change just because of human nature. When you see a little guy go flying, you're going to call the foul. When you see a big guy just continue through, you're going to assume he didn't get hit. No, I, I 100% agree with you, right? One thing that I give a lot of credit to Shaq is that even though he wasn't getting those calls, he never changed the way that he played. He stuck true to what he he does best. But where this can affect other strong players is, you know, if they don't happen to get those calls, they stop going to the basket. They stop really trying to do what they know they can do best. And I feel like I've seen a guy like Embiid do this a lot of times too. You know, somebody just doesn't get a call. So he just opts to just, you know, start shooting the ball. And he's a good shooter for sure, but, you know, he is the best when he gets down low, right? So we want our players to be rewarded for, you know, doing what it is that they do best, especially when they have the physical gifts to do so. Especially when they're by far the biggest person on the court without question, and you should just <laughs> pipe it on the guy and get a foul that way instead of losing playoff games because you're trying to draw a foul and the refs will never give it to you. <laughs> I dug up some old wounds for for Asui there with what I was saying. Huh? Old wounds, Embiid. I guess still they're still so recent. Yeah. Embiid yeah. still does that shit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I think Santa has a lot on his plate because we just gave him a lot of wishes. Don't forget to leave your cookies out, guys. Who knows? Maybe he'll actually answer some of those wishes. Fingers crossed, man. Fingers crossed. I don't want some cherubic fat man in my my house. <laughs> While I'm <laughs> so, you, all have, you guys have fun with that. <laughs> well, let's imagine if actually you just like saw this big dude <laughs> just eating your 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 shit in your refrigerator, like yum yum yum. Like what, who the hell are you, Eric? 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 At this rate, former Sixer Jeremy Grant is never coming to the Lakers. You just got put on the naughty list, bro. <laughs> I've been on that for 33 years, sir. (laughs) Thank you all so much for joining us today. We hope you had a great time, and we hope you all have very happy holidays. Merry Christmas to all who celebrate, happy Hanukkah, and Festivus for the rest of us, I suppose. Be sure to like, comment, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to hit us up at brownmenwontjump at gmail.com or on Instagram at brownmenwontjump. We'll catch you in the next one. Happy holidays. Have a happy holidays. <laughs> Thank you for that, Arshad. No rap? <laughs> not today, not today. <laughs>